It really is good to see you this morning. It's good to sing songs of praise uh, to God our Father, to Jesus our Savior. Uh, it's good to uh, have a time to reconnect with one another. I, I really think that's important. Um, I know that uh, maybe we've become used to a, a quick meet and greet time before we open up the Word of God together, but uh, folks, if, if we can't come here and be encouraged by one another, the world sure isn't going to give us any kind of encouragement, right? And so we need every bit of that we can get. So uh, I'm always thankful to see your faces and to shake your hands and to hug your necks. And I'm thankful, too, to open up the Word of God together. And we're going to do that in just a second. A couple of announcements that have already been made this morning. I want to make sure you heard them. First of which is 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to meet at the park. Um, we do this uh, pretty regularly through the year when the weather allows. And uh, we haven't met in the park yet uh, this year on a, on a Sunday night, so we're going to do that tonight. That is really about spending some good quality time together. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're going to sing a few songs and, and, and pray together and, and uh, maybe speak a few words of encouragement. But really, this is about cultivating the relationships we share with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, it's also a great opportunity to let this community of Cushing know that our Christianity is not confined to a church building, right? Uh, we don't trust in walls and classrooms, in pulpits and chairs. Our trust is in God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, God shows up here from time to time, doesn't He? Uh, but He makes His way to the park too. And uh, so we want to invite you tonight at 6 o'clock under the big pavilion. We're going to do finger foods and encourage everybody to bring something. And uh, let's just spend some good time together. All right? Uh, also, uh, and I appreciate Tony announcing this this morning, we're going to do a, a contribution for our mission trip to the Yucatan on Sunday, the June 5th. Uh, as Larry uh, commented this morning, uh, Typically what happens when that money is gathered, it, it goes to buy food. Uh, we make a big trip to, to Sam's down there in Yucatan and uh, come away with more beans and rice and oil than uh, you can imagine. And we divvy that up. Uh, we spend a day at the, the church building there in Cancun, uh, separating that into, out into individual sacks. Uh, one sack of, of food feeds a family for about a week. Uh, we believe, and as Larry mentioned, uh, we did about 300 uh, bags the last time we made this trip, and and it is largely dependent upon your generosity uh, to uh, to buy this these beans and this rice and this sugar and, and this oil and all the other things, toilet paper uh, that we give to to these uh, folks that live out in the jungle that don't have. Um, a lot of the luxuries, a lot of the necessities that we have. And so be thinking about what you might want to share with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in the Yucatan Peninsula. And we'll take up a contribution on June the 5th. I, uh, I thought I knew what I was going to be preaching this morning, early this last week. I had an idea. And it was a good idea. I, I felt good about the idea that I had. Uh, and then I spent some time with my brother Kevin this weekend, who's also a preacher, um, and things changed. Um, my niece, Kelsey, graduated from college this weekend, 
Uh, Carrie Lynn and I went over uh, for the graduation, and, and my brother Kevin was there, and, and our brother Kerry has two kids in college. Well, no, only one kid in college because Kelsey graduated. But we were moving them out of their dorm rooms and uh, back to, to his house. And, and in the middle of all that, I, I shared with my brother Kevin what it was I was planning on preaching today. And as we began to talk it through, uh, which we do from time to time, I realized that that particular sermon probably needed a little more marinating uh, before being served to you. So I decided to preach something different this morning. Uh, this morning I'm going to preach to you a sermon that each and every one of you could preach if you wanted to. Uh, nothing new this morning, nothing earth-shattering, nothing revelatory, uh, but at the same time I, I believe it is going to be a healthy reminder for each and every one of us. If you would, I want you to look with me at a text from the Summer on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 43 through 48 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. In my Bible, those words are written in red, which means what? It means this comes from the, the very mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is, uh, I imagine, a text that a lot of us are familiar with, and, and it begins with, again, you've heard that it was said, love whom? Your neighbor and do what with your enemy? Hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. You've heard that it was said. Love your neighbor, hurt your hate your enemy. But I tell you, do what? Love your enemies too. Now, is that an issue for any of us? You bet. It's so easy to get crossways with one another, is it not? When Jesus says, don't just love your enemy, pray for him. Those that persecute you, those that speak ill of you, those that cause you trouble in life. Allow your love for them to motivate you to go before the throne of God in prayer on their behalf. Now, is that an easy thing to do? It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to love your neighbor sometimes, much less our enemies. Um, on occasion, there's a lot of love flowing at 902 Lakeview Drive, where I live. We've got four children. And when it's good, man, there's nothing better. When our kids are laughing, they're happy, they're sharing, they're entertaining one another, there's nothing better. But when they're arguing, <clears throat> when they're not being neighborly, when instead they're acting as if they were sworn enemies, it's a little more difficult. This is tough. I don't think anybody would disagree. This is tough. 
what Jesus is calling us to here. Love your enemies the same way you love your neighbors. But that's not the most difficult thing Jesus asks of us in this text. I want you to look again at verse 48. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says, Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now let that sink in a second. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What exactly is Jesus saying here? It's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? I mean, there's not a lot of mystery in this verse. Jesus is telling us to be as perfect ourselves as God in heaven is perfect. That's what verse 48 says, is it not? Okay. So let me ask you, how's that working out for you? Anybody in this auditorium perfect this morning? There you go. Uh, we've got some, uh, some I believe that in the eyes of God are perfect. Uh, but most of them are off in children's church and in the nursery right now. Right? They've not yet made the mistakes that you and I have made as, as adults. We're held accountable for our sin. Perfection uh, doesn't come easily to us. The fact is, perfection was ruined for me a long time ago. How about you? Uh, as far as I can remember, I have never had a perfect day, much less a perfect lifetime. Think about that. What does that mean for us? When it comes to our salvation, does that just mean we're out of luck or what? No? Why not? Okay, we've got grace. We've, we've been forgiven. How, Jason? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the Passover lamb. This meal that we've just shared with in this morning. This bread symbolizes what? The body of Jesus Christ. And how about the cup? The blood of Jesus Christ. I don't worry too much about my imperfection today because Jesus is perfect and he shares his perfection with me and with all who follow him. Let me show you. I want you to uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Let me hear those pages turning. I want you to your eyes on the text. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. The law, it's talking about the law of Moses. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, the law, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
Now let's talk about this just a second before we read on here. Under the law of Moses, if you committed sin, if your perfection had been marred in some fashion, how do you regain your standing before God? Some kind of an animal sacrifice. A lamb, a bull, a goat, pigeons, doves, whatever uh, the law prescribed. You were to take these things to a priest at an altar at the temple or the tabernacle before it. The, the priest would essentially butcher this animal. It would be put on the altar uh, the aroma would reach God's nose in heaven and he would be satisfied with the sacrifice that you had made. Now, could any of those sacrifices adequately deal with sin? What does the text say? The blood of bulls and goats, what? Cannot save. Cannot forgive sin. Earlier on in the text, the Hebrew writer says, none of these sacrifices do what needs to be done for people who have messed up in their relationships with God. They cannot make you perfect as you draw near to worship. Okay, keep reading. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Quoting from Psalm 40. Verse 8, first he, that's Jesus, said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. This is the way the law of Moses was set up. God knew full well that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, and yet he prescribed the law of Moses to instruct the people to offer bulls and goats. Why? Because he's looking ahead to a sacrifice that could make perfect those who draw near to God in worship. His own son, Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Then he said, Jesus, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. The law of Moses is done away with to introduce the law of Christ. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now listen at verse 11, because here's where the difference is really going to be made. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And who's that? That is you and me. By one sacrifice, Jesus Christ made us perfect and holy in the eyes of God. How does that make you feel? Yeah, if, if that doesn't get an amen, I don't know what does, right? That's the best news you're going to hear all day, folks. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is enough to perfect you before God as you are being made holy in His image. That's, a, that's good stuff. I want you to look again at verse 14, okay? Verse 14 says, Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
We may not be perfect, you and I. But we are being perfected. You understand that? In and of ourselves, by our own effort or action, we will never be made perfect. We've already messed that up. We've already blown that. But because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are day in and day out being perfected as we're molded and shaped in His image. So let me ask you, does that mean we just get to sit back and relax as Jesus perfects us? It doesn't. I jotted something down on a gum wrapper a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Um, Larry, was he's teaching on Wednesday nights about the work of the eldership in the church. And we've been talking the last two weeks specifically about the qualities laid out by the Apostle Paul in the books of 1 Timothy and the book of Titus, the qualities of men who have been called by God to serve as shepherds of each local congregation. Um, Larry has, has made the point that too often um, in legalistically minded churches, those things that Paul talks about, both in 1 Timothy and in Titus, are used as a list of disqualifications. If a man does this, well, then he can't serve as a shepherd. If a man uh, drinks too much wine, he can't serve as a shepherd. If he has more than one wife, he can't serve as a shepherd. And that's the way that has been treated for a long time. Maybe a more accurate representation of what the Apostle Paul has attempted to communicate there in First Timothy and Titus is, these are qualities that a man ought to aspire to. This is the standard that has been set. It's not always reached, but that's the goal. And it's clear that a man has given his life in pursuit of that goal. And so here's what I wrote based on that conversation on a little, it wasn't even a big gum wrapper, it was a little bitty gum wrapper, okay? Here's what I wrote. God expects perfection and accepts effort. God expects perfection. And I want to make this clear because I believe this to be true, that what God wants from you and me is a sinless life. Does he get it? Of course not. Does that mean we don't try? See, I think a lot of people fall into this trap where they think, well, I've already messed up perfection. I've already, why even try at this point? Why even make an attempt to live a life pleasing to God because I've already messed things up? And, and I'm scared too that there are some religious groups out and about calling themselves Christians today that say, um, based upon this idea and that, that rationale, I think there's some religious groups that teach, well, hey, uh, Jesus saved you. You don't have to worry about anything else. And I just don't believe that to be the case. Just because we are being perfected by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ doesn't let us off the hook. And, and don't misunderstand me. There's no way any of us is ever going to earn our salvation before God. But folks, we've got to live lives that prove that we are trying to measure up to the standard that has been set for us. Does that make sense? God expects perfection. But He accepts effort. 
the attempts we make to live lives that are pleasing to Him. There is absolutely nothing we can do about the fact that we ruined our perfection, right? That ship has sailed. All we can do from this point forward is trust that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ perfects us as we try to live lives that make Him not regret walking to and then hanging upon the cross of Calvary. So if it's true that God expects perfection and accepts effort, then I've got a question for you. Are you trying? Are you making an attempt? Are you putting forth enough effort to let God know that you want to live the life that He has called each of us to live? Are you trying? I don't know that all of us are. I don't know that all of us aren't. But I don't know that all of us are. It's been a while. I don't say this every Sunday. But I think it every time I stand before you to preach. I don't know what's going on in your life. I really don't. I don't know if... If you're putting on a mask or a front when you walk in the doors of this building because you've been living a life far away and separated from the will of God during the week. I don't know if your talk is different. I don't know if your walk is different. I don't know if if you're respectful to your wives, if you're spending good time with your children, training them up in the admonition of the Lord during the week. I don't, I don't know those things. But God does. Yeah, I, I think we have um, convinced ourselves somewhat that we are putting forth an effort if we can make it to Bible class or if we show up for worship. And if that's the case, if that's your line of thinking, Satan has got you deceived. God is much more interested, I believe, in what happens out there than what happens in here. Are you trying? Does your life measure up to your claim? Is it obvious to God and to everyone that sees you on a regular basis what kind of life you're trying to live? Not perfection. We've already already missed that boat. But effort. Are we making an attempt to live lives pleasing to God? Now only you can answer that. I can't answer that for you. Your wife, your husband, they can't answer that for you. Your mom or your dad, they they can't answer those things. It's strictly between you and God. 
but it's a question worth asking yourself. Because if you're not trying, if you're not giving effort to live according to the standard that has been set for us, then I have to question whether or not you're being perfected by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Where's your heart? Where's your speech? Where's your mind? Where are your thoughts? Where are your emotions? Where are your actions? Not perfect, sure, I understand. But are you aspiring to perfection? Are you trying? I'll give you just a minute to think about that. I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads, and I'm going to be quiet a minute and let you have a conversation with God yourself, and then I'm going to word one. God, I want to start off uh, this prayer by telling you that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for falling short. I'm sorry for failing you. I'm sorry for making mistake after mistake after mistake. I'm sorry, God, for the times that I willfully disobey you. Because you know there's a lot of them. I pray this morning, Father, that you take from me every hint of, of worldliness, of selfishness. And I've prayed that prayer before, and, and I know that's not how you operate. You want me to choose you, not make the choice for me, but... God, I, I just don't want to disappoint you. I don't want to I don't want to fail you. I know I already have. I know perfection for me is ruined. I know I will in the future, God. I, I know that I'm not finished sinning yet. But right now, understanding that though I may not be perfect, I we are perfected by because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Right now, God, I, I want to try again. I don't want to give up. I don't want to throw my hands in the air and say, "Well, what's the what's the point?" As as Tony mentioned, I genuinely want to live up to the standard to which I have been called. And I believe we all do. We wouldn't be here otherwise. But God, help us. Help us when we get discouraged. Help us when we try to justify our actions. Uh, help us when we try to bend Scripture sometimes to allow us to do what we want to do. Help us to remember 
that though you expect perfection, you accept effort. And we're never going to give you perfection, but what we can give you is effort. We can try, God. We can try to be as perfect as you are. And that's what I pray for. I pray that the thoughts in our heads and the feelings in our hearts pray that the words that come out of our mouths and, and the actions that prove to the world who we are I pray that those things remind the world of you and your son Jesus Christ help us to keep trying help us to keep fighting help us to continue to make effort because we love you, to live lives that bring you glory and honor and praise, because you are worthy. Help us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, let's be standing, and Larry will lead us in one more song, and we'll finish our time together.